the professor seems clearly to hurt the president. That's why this person runs. If you really were trying to steer things internally, you wouldn't come out and do this. But I think. But then why not resign? I think a very interesting question here is if this person who did it is one of those who has publicly denied it, what does the New York Times do with that information? Right. And they continue yeah. to protect somebody who is publicly uh, telling a lie. Yeah, that's, that's why I say that the, the denials are important, because I would assume that the New York Times would be responsible enough that if someone is out there outright lying about their participation in something like this, that that would then force them to out this person if they're lying about it. They, they know a public figure is lying about it. Right, and a senior administration yes. official, as they deny it, someone who has responsibility. And let me tell you, the idea that someone should be shamed for working in this administration is, is an outrageous statement. It's an absolutely outrageous hey, statement. You're serving... Um, so, uh, welcome to the Armstrong and Getty Show. There's something I didn't think of last week. So we were mocking these people who have come out and, and, and said, no, I didn't write it for, with, with the idea that, well, yeah, the person who wrote it's going to deny it. It's the point of being anonymous. That's the whole anonymous thing. Really. Somebody gets around to asking you, yup, it was me. So the, I wrote it. So the media is saying, <laughs> we've asked Pompeo, he said no. So we asked Pence and he said no. Uh-huh. So who could it be? It just seemed How ridiculous. About your staff? Oh, no, 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 no. But the journalists on uh, Stephanopoulos' show and Governor Christie all seem to agree that no, if the person who wrote it says no publicly, the New York Times then has a journalistic obligation to say, "Uh uh-uh, there's a senior uh, 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 Trump official, White House official lying. We know it, and we have to tell you. My initial reaction to that, and I stand ready to be argued off at this point, is that's a ridiculous assertion. Well, I think that's crazy. I, I never thought of it. For the reasons you made clear. But that's John, the point of being Jonathan, Carl, Chris Christie, and Stephanopoulos seem to think, oh, yeah, obviously. You know, Carl, which is, you know, I don't know. I didn't actually go to journalism school. Um, uh, that, that's interesting. Well, uh, two things. Number one, again, not to belabor the point, but if you do something anonymously, it's not only conceivable i mean you, you should practically expect it at some point somebody might ask you did you do that if you're in that world so uh, i don't buy it for that reason second thing is you know a good example mark felt uh, mark felt right it was deep throat denied it for 30 plus years public he specifically publicly denied that he was deep throat and woodward and bernstein knew but not just the reporters um what's his name bill bradley knew also and he was the editor of the Washington Post, right. and he didn't come out and say, well, we got to tell you now, because he has publicly denied it, and I know right. the answer, so it's our news obligation to tell you that person is lying. Right. Well, listen, I don't consider myself a journalist exactly. Uh, we have whistleblowers. I don't consider myself a rodeo clown either. <laughs> Some do. Um, <clears throat> There's a lot of things I don't consider myself. But we have a number of whistleblowers. And, and anonymous sources of important information for the public that have uh, reached out to us and have populated the show with some pretty good stuff through the years, and we have protected their identity. And if somebody asked publicly, um, are you the guy who contacted Armstrong and Getty and told them about PG&E's lobbyists that have gotten this incredible sweetheart deal where the taxpayers and ratepayers pay for the fires they cause, which is a real thing, and we'll talk about it later, and and they said no, I didn't send that to Angie. I'm not going to out them. Yeah, because they public. No, no, not not only no, no blank and way. Well, we're not a news organization. I don't know. I don't know the or answer. Are we? I would actually like. Here's to- the news, Jack. We are. <laughs> Check and mate. <laughs> wow. I would actually like to ask Jonathan Carl or Stephanopoulos because I don't know the answer to this. Why the Mark Felt case? So. 
obviously Woodward, Bernstein, and Bill Bradley kept that quiet mm-hmm. until Felt was willing to come forward. Yeah, Bradley was dead. So, but um, uh, so I don't know that the difference is. I don't actually know. I just thought it was interesting that you got some journalists at a high level who thought, oh yeah, obviously the New York Times. Oh yeah, it'd be their news obligation to at that point say, look, here's somebody in the administration lying about undermining the president. I, I think that's that is a pretty newsworthy opinion. But I don't know that you're obligated to go. Yeah, I, they would never have another source. Well, on, the, on that. Ever. Think about it. On the other side of it, uh, Bob Woodward, part of his interview yesterday, and boy, uh, Marshall's got a good clip of the Woodward interview he gave with CBS coming up in his newscast. Some really interesting stuff. If the book is full of stuff like the thing he's got at the bottom of the hour, that's going to be a hell of a book. Well, stay tuned. Can't we just start reading it? Um, Woodward said yesterday, as you know, having read my book, there are dates, times, and participants. I wouldn't have used that op-ed piece if I'm running the New York Times. Too vague. Does not meet the standards of trying to describe specific incidents. Specific incidents are the building blocks of journalism. I wouldn't have used it. Right, right. I would agree. It, it it wasn't terribly newsworthy. It was recycled old accusations against against the Trumpster, uh, most of which I think are probably legit. Honestly, um, it wasn't. I don't understand why it was published. It seems almost universal, uh, even if you believe it should be published, that people think that they they should put their name on it. Mm-hmm. All your heavyweight. Uh, lefty journalists and conservative journalists say you got to put your name on it. Can I share my zero research done to actually back this up theory on what it Briefly. is? This is talk radio. So I think this was, there, there's a sense of, all right, let me back up. Trump's, that's, that's seven words so right, far right, and not, no information not conveyed. Doing well, not, not doing a good well. start. The, the Trump Republican <laughs> approval ratings are being touted a lot of times. Oh, they're, they're record highs, all-time high. Yeah. But a lot of that is because of, there's a mass exodus of people who don't want to consider themselves Republicans, switching to, to independents, things like that. That's some of it, yeah. And so I feel like this was a a plea from the Republican career Republicans mm-hmm. saying, don't abandon Republicanism. We're still trying to do stuff. We, we, have, yeah, okay. we have a non-Republican as the head of our, our party right now, but there are still, quote-unquote, Republicans that are, are fighting the things that you care about. Yeah, I think yeah. I think they're wrong. I think the uh, way too many Republicans hate the Republican Party for them to fix that. They think the tried and true Republican Party will be back for you know it. And most Republicans would say, yeah, that's not what I'm looking for. Right. Um, right. Like most things, there are several things at work here. But yeah. back to the New York Times printing that having watched the conversations over the weekend, I'm completely convinced that they shouldn't have run that anonymously. They They should have said. Yeah, I absolutely will run it. You've got to put your name on it, though. Because just the way the conversation goes, it, it allows too much. Well, it's just a weird conversation when you're 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 picturing some um, person with no flaws kind of floating above it all. Right. And if you put a name on it, but all of a sudden, OK, you're no this person. to grind, yeah. no career to advance. Cetera, and with, and with all the with all the information to make these decisions, you finally get a name on that, and you either see uh, they don't have knowledge of this these areas of the White House, mm-hmm. or of course you're angry because of X. You know, it becomes a different conversation, right? Yeah, yeah. 
It's like Joe Biden uh, famously said about when you're you when anybody's running for office, they often poll poorly against an, an a, a a a random Democrat or a random Republican. Mm-hmm. And he uh, famously said, "Don't compare me against God Almighty. Compare me against you know an actual person mm-hmm. in the polls, because you never poll well." Against these, this mythical person we would love. Exactly. You put a name em- on it. The empty vessel. Yeah, the yeah. empty vessel always polls very well. The anonymous Democrat running against Trump, the anonymous Republican running against Obama. But then you get an actual person with their flaws, right. and it's such a different story. I think this essay or this uh, op-ed would be the same way. And to Woodward's point, which is kind of related, you didn't build a case for anything to do anything. It was more or less a gossip piece. Well, it was more or less like so many things that have already appeared in the New well, York Chuck, Times and Washington Post. Chuck Todd, sleepy-eyed Chuck Todd. Sleeping son of a bitch. That sleeping son of a bitch. I'm right? depressed. I know him. I know his work. He said, with the Woodward book and the, the op-ed, did we learn anything we didn't know about the president this week? I don't think so. Hmm. He said, we might have learned something about the people around him, yeah. the functioning of the White House, but we didn't learn anything about Donald Trump. They're fun. That we didn't if, already know. If you like m- people saying mean things about other people, it's kind of amusing, <laughs> especially if you hate Trump. If, if you're a real Trump hater, this had to be a great week for you. Mm. But in terms mm. of the United States of America, which is what I care about. Oh, well, congratulations. I'm not sure uh, we've advanced anything. By the way, I got a bunch of texts, people showing me how to turn off the stupid holidays on my calendar, on yes. my phone. It is, it is uh, effortless Jack, Jack, once somebody shows the, you. Uh, holidays you'd prefer not to be on your calendar. Columbus Day. Stupid is a little uh, harsh. It's a little... Uh, you're probably right. a little uh, white nationalist. You're probably. I don't even. I've never even heard of most of these. I don't know what the hell they are. That's just, because you're a bigot. They're random foreign words. Why is this on my calendar? Anyway, I turned it off, so now my life is much better. Excellent. Much richer for the to... experience. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> now, good American holidays like Columbus Day and Arbor Day. Are no, I don't want those. Either. Shining clear. I don't want those either. I don't want any holidays on my dumb calendar. None. No. Not even Thanksgiving. I know when Thanksgiving... Oh. Do you? When is it? Name it. Third, See, he doesn't. Third Thursday? <laughs> it's the last oh. Thursday, except in a leap year. I think it's the third Thursday. Of what? October. Of November. Oh, okay. I did. He, he wow. passed. Uh, wow. When the house smells like turkey, it's Thanksgiving. <laughs> hey, I guess we're eating today. Look at my watch. Hey, it's Thanksgiving already? Explains all these pies on the counter. I wonder why there was nobody at work. So that's that. Our text line is 415-295-KFTC. Coming up, drunken British sailors rampaging through Florida. Is it time to end the special relationship? (laughs) Calling out Kamala Harris and Dianne Feinstein on some blatant fibs during the Kavanaugh hearings. I believe there's a bill on the governor's desk in the biggest... A school system in America to move back the start time of schools. Huh. Because kids need more sleep. They do. Stay tuned for that. Coming up on the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. The conscience of the nation. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Hear 
about this? Last night, SpaceX founder Elon Musk smoked pot on a podcast. You can tell he really liked it because now he's building a rocket that goes from Taco Bell to White Castle. I was, I was amazed how many times I saw that story discussed seriously. I had no idea that being a CEO, you would take a hit if you smoked pot on video in the year 2018. So Especially when you're known as a young, hip entrepreneur. And a uh, a rebel. And you live in California where it's perfectly legal. Yeah. I just was surprised. You know what I think it may be? If the CEO of GM, for instance, whoever that is, and I have no idea who it is, and I don't care, um, were to be shown smoking a little pot in California, I would think, oh, that's kind of funny. I'm sure when he or she gets back to Detroit, it'll be time to settle down, you know, button the uh, the sport coat and get back to work. But I think there was a fear that Elon Musk was already cracking up a little bit. And it's just a little more wacky behavior. So it's the Elon Musk cracking up watch. Okay, I'm just surprised that smoking pot is a sign of wacky behavior in the year 2018. I thought we had moved past that. It's an intoxicant, Jack. <laughs> <clears throat> so it's funny, this has been on my mind a lot lately. It's been on my mind for a long, long time, and I have so much I could talk about. It's a sprawling octopus of a discussion. I tweeted about it over the weekend. Um, you know, the state of political communication and demonizing other people and demanding that they be silenced for their ideas. Um, and it's that's becoming more and more mainstream, the idea that not only are they wrong, but they should be silenced, which troubles me a great deal. Um, there's an absolutely wonderful defense of uh, Jordan Peterson that Jeff Tucker wrote that I'm going to share some of it with you in a while. Uh, the most interesting part is not that uh, Mr. Peterson is an incredibly intelligent and thoughtful fellow. It's the way he's been demonized um, by the left and by the mainstream media in ways that are utterly indefensible. I mean, they're just completely fictional. And some of that narrative has caught hold, and it's just very troubling to me. But uh, this is more, uh, I have an example of, of really dishonest and insidious political communication in a moment. This, I think, falls under the category of we got really, really old people in government. Um, At the uh, Kavanaugh hearings, uh, Dianne Feinstein, Democrat, California, um, who's... Came out to find gold. (laughs) She did? In 1849. Yes. That's right. Brought her to California. That's right. In her gingham dress with her man in the Conestoga wagon. You know, she uh, ironically threatened federal intervention if Silicon Valley failed to do more to curtail the spread of fake news. Well, at the at the hearing, she mentioned, I heard this clip, and I, I must have just been half paying attention. She said in the 1950s and 60s, two decades before Roe, deaths from illegal abortions in this country ran between 200,000 and 1.2 million, citing the pro-choice nonprofit, the Guttmacher Institute, so a lot of women died in that period, et cetera, et cetera. Well, it turns out, um, no, that was that was the number of abortions, the estimate of illegal abortions, not deaths from abortions. That does seem like an extraordinarily high number of deaths. Yes, yes. And in fact, they have estimated the number of deaths from illegal or self-induced abortions during that period, and it is a, a tiny fraction of what she, she suggested. It is, to my mind, a horrific number. Oh, sure. Um, Yeah. Terrible. Yeah. Absolutely terrible. Any number would be horrific. Right. Exactly. But um, she wasn't even close to being accurate. And it wasn't like she slipped up once, jumbling the figures by mistake. She stressed her point repeatedly 
If the court reverses its Roe decision, more than a million women will die each year from unsafe abortions. Whoa, she said that? Yeah. That's a quote? Yeah. Oh, that's a crazy thing to say. Yeah. A million? Yeah, well, first of all... First of all, why are we even having this discussion? That's not going to happen. Oh, my God, I heard so, so many... And if aliens come and take over the world, we're all going to have to wear... You know, Why are we even having this conversation? Twitter is in fuego with what's going to happen when Roe gets overturned. It gets people to the polls and or... It's Russians probably starting the conversation. Yeah, I wonder. I mean, Feinstein said that. So ancient Diane Feinstein, way off on that. Um, And I don't know. I don't see her as the sort that would knowingly lie like that. No, I don't think so at all. I think she just... uh, Somebody put that number in front of her and she... She misinterpreted it it. and she's crazy old. Kamala Harris, on the other hand, thanks to... uh, Dr. J, for pointing this out, listening to the show from Switzerland, Australia, he writes, For some reason, I'm also keeping up with U.S. politics. I'm regretting that daily. Um, I found one tweet that I believe perfectly exemplifies who Kamala Harris is, and I think it illustrates the tendency of the political left to massage uh, meaning to fit their needs, advance their agenda, fire up their base. The tweet, uh, I'll read you the tweet, and it includes a gif of Judge Kavanaugh. I say gif. Feel free. Kamala Harris tweets, Kavanaugh chooses his words very carefully, and this is a dog whistle for going after birth control. He was nominated for the purpose of taking away a woman's constitutionally protected right to make her own health care decisions. Make no mistake, this is about punishing women. The idea that Republicans want to take away birth control is hilarious. (laughs) Right. And make no mistake, this is about punishing women. And then, as the Washington Free Beacon helpfully points out, uh, Planned Parenthood used this same maneuver in the same way. Kavanaugh, okay, the, the GIF or GIF of Kavanaugh says, quote, filling out the form would make them complicit in the provision of the abortion-inducing drugs that they were, as a religious matter, objected to. However, Kavanaugh actually said, It was a technical matter of filling out a form in that case, but they said filling out the form would make them complicit in the provision of the abortion-inducing drugs. They were, you know, so on, the rest of the sentence. Removing a few words changes this statement from Kavanaugh explaining the position of a plaintiff to himself arguing for restrictions on birth control access. Uh, It's not egregious enough for him to be against abortion. They have to make him out to be against hormonal contraception in general. He is for punishing women, as she suggests, verbatim. Well, I assume it was just staffers from Kamala who did this. The logical skeptic in me assumes they would have pulled this, wouldn't have pulled this, were their overlord Kamala not on board with such slimy tactics. This is nothing more than an incendiary lie. Um, Yeah, it's hard to know, but I would certainly think once she found out somebody put that in front of her, she'd have to fire him. I mean, because it's way over the top. Planned Parenthood did exactly the same, and they know exactly what they're doing. Oh, heck yeah. Way to go, Kamala. I'll never believe another thing you say. I've never met a single person in my life that is against birth control. Not one. I don't know one. The Pope. Uh, what's coming up in your news, Marshall? Well, more Bob Woodward, more fear in the White House. Great stories about Chief of Staff Kelly, failed resignations, and Trump's beating up on military brass. Yeah, these these are good. These are good. Yeah. Maybe you won't believe them. I don't know. They're from fake Wood- news. From Woodward's book. <laughs> <laughs> Joe's dropping a fake news. Stay tuned to the Armstrong and Getty Show.
news. That's what we're trying to provide to you. Whatever about the Russia investigation and Trump, this or that, that's not actually going to help you when you get to work today. This, five easy ways to sound smarter in a meeting. Oh, yeah. You're going to put this to work this morning when you get to your quarterly sales meeting or whatever the hell you do every Monday morning. Five ways to sound smarter at work. Yes, the meeting's a waste of time, unless you twist it to your purposes. We got this text. Please be fair. Diane Feinstein corrected that number at the end of the session. So good on her. Somebody Missed point, it. Somebody pointed out that that was bogus, and she said so. So cool. Excellent. Well done, DiFi. Like I said, it surprised me if she would be that but how deliberately about the, deceitful. But how about the staffers who put it in front of her? Uh, right, unless she just misread it. I don't know. Mm. She's old. Uh, the, the Kamala <laughs> Harris stuff is unforgivable. She's either going to fire those staffers or she did it on purpose. Y'all's on the left. They're working so hard to whip you up. I mean, just and and it wouldn't bother me, except that they're breeding actual hatred and and, and bitter divisions in the country. And, and Trump's part of it, too. He's all about divisions and whipping up hatred. It's the ugly. Only, the only problem I have with the five easy ways to sound smarter at a meeting, mm. the first one is be smarter. <laughs> Good advice. Yes. No, I don't follow Indeed. you. We'll get into that coming up. Right now, the news with Marshall Phillips. Al Bob Woodward's new book, Fear, dealing with the Trump White House, comes out tomorrow. Woodward making the rounds of the TV news shows, giving a preview of what he was told, he says, by multiple sources about various incidents. In one case, economic advisor Gary Cohn went in to resign because he didn't like the way the president reacted to what happened during demonstrations in Charlottesville. Trump said, you can't resign, I need you to do tax reform. And he said, if you leave, this is treason. And Trump talked him out of resigning. Afterwards, Chief of Staff John Kelly, who had been in the room, pulled him aside. Cohen wrote this down. Quote from General Kelly, if that was me, I would have taken that resignation letter and shoved it up his six different times end quote <laughs> you're saying n- 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 no need to uh r- rate people with their resignation letters i think it's six it's hard different, to defend i think it's six different ways isn't it isn't that what he probably i he, read times well but, i know yeah. that's i know that's what yeah. he that's yeah. what the quote in the book is but yeah. either kelly got flustered Said times instead of ways right. or the guy wrote or it Cole down wrote it down because you you you, sh- you shove it up someone's <laughs> Well, I think had by six the, different ways, not six different right. times. Well, I think by the fourth or fifth time, I mean the the letter would be ragged. I mean, long way, yeah. sideways. Those sure, are two. You have to refold it, maybe into an origami goose, <laughs> and shove it up again. As a paper airplane, there's right. four. Yeah. Certainly, yeah. It's, a, it's a classic. Yeah, the way, three ways, ways is more creative than time. Yeah, the, yeah. exactly. The three ways right. to make it fit in an envelope like a letter. Right. That's the fifth way. Now sure. we need a sixth way right. to well, shove the, the resignation letter. The way grade school girls do that weird foldy thing, oh, yeah. and they go back and forth to <laughs> oh, say the, who you're going to marry. The cootie catcher. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. That'd be the other way. the sixth way. Now, just, give me a minute because I haven't done this uh, in years. But let me. All right. Now I'm ready to shove it up here again. So, um, <laughs> but so if that happened. Kelly pulling the guy aside and saying, man, if he'd have talked to me that way, I'd have shoved the letter. (laughs) That's a hell of a thing, isn't it? Yeah. Well, Kelly said, I'd have shoved it up your hiding, right? He was referring to the guy who wrote the letter. It's threatening, right? I took it wrong then. If you'd sent the letter to me, I'd have shoved it up your hiney six different ways. I get out. I thought he was saying that that's what he would have done to the president. 
I mis- completely misinterpreted it then. How did you interpret it, everyone? How'd you interpret it, Marshall? I thought the president. Yeah, me too. Yeah, yeah. that's what I thought. Yep. They, he would have, if General Kelly was resigning, he'd have shoved it up the president's butt six yeah. different if ways I show up in and a resi- then walked out. If I show up with a resignation yeah. letter yeah. and you say that's treasonous, right. yeah, I'm going to shove it up you. Yeah. yeah. I, think, uh, I thought that's what right. Kelly said. There's more sodomy at the White House than I thought. <laughs> In another more paperwork sodomy yeah. than you expect. In another case, President Trump was working on a new Afghanistan strategy, and he insisted on meeting with enlisted men who had served there. CBS reporter David Martin and Woodward with what happened next. The following day... Trump blasting his senior military. I don't care about you guys, he said to Mattis, Joint Chiefs Chairman General Joseph Dunford, and then National Security Advisor H.R. McMaster. The soldiers on the ground could run things better than you, he says to Mattis and Dunford. And there is a 25-minute dressing down of the generals and senior officials. Am I... Well... I might hesitate to say that to Mattis because of his reputation, uh, but that is the history of warfare, and that sort of reset needs to happen regularly. I'm not offended by that. The commander-in-chief chewing out the generals and saying, you know, you guys are about yourselves and not the guys on the ground. I'm hearing, you know, flowery pronouncements of policy. Well, the guys on the ground are telling me it's a completely different reality than you're telling me. I think that's great. Any dissent, any disagreement, I can take it. Hmm? I wonder, uh, McMaster at least has to be one source for that. Right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Serena Williams lost the U.S. Open's women's final to Naomi Osaka on Saturday after arguing with the umpire who accused her of getting illegal coaching from her player box and gave her a violation. I don't cheat to win. I'd rather lose, the uh, 23-time Grand Slam champ told the chair umpire, explaining that she'd gotten a thumbs-up from her coach, and that was not cheating. She subsequently smashed her racket and was given a code violation warning that led to a point penalty. Shortly afterwards, Williams lost the match 2-6-4-6. Uh, well, 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 hang on now. She Then she jawed more at the yes. referee, who took a game away. Yes. Which is huge in, in a, a final. She was going to lose anyway, but then that, part of it was she's getting her uh, her hind end kicked by this young girl, which is tough when you're an aging champion. But sure. I've watched tennis. I used to watch tennis all the time. Coaches saying, move up to the net or whatever. They do right. that all the time. Yeah. To choose this particular moment to say, no, that's against the rules. What was that? that yeah. would, if you're in the middle of losing and realizing your aging body can't keep up with a 20-year-old, that would really piss you off. <laughs> Sally Jenkins of the WAPO, who's both a feminist activist and a sports reporter, uh, was the first thing I read about this, and she was just utterly convinced that it was a Taliban-style act of misogyny and woman hate. Now I talked to uh, more uh, reasonable commentators or, or listened to them who said, no, I mean, they were clearly cheating. Then other people say, yeah, but everybody does that all the time. Then somebody said, this guy's a real stickler, though, and everybody knows that. And so I, I just don't know enough about the game. Mm. I don't there, know. There you go. That's I, what... I do know she has a huge reputation 
for tantrums and bullying referees. Well, there you go. That's a wrap. That's your news. I'm Marshall Phillips. The Armstrong and Getty Show, the conscience of the nation. You know, to the extent that this matters, the the 20-year-old Japanese girl who won her first big tournament, you know, all the air got sucked out of that for her, which really, really stinks. Yeah. Five ways to found, sound smarter in a meeting. I don't know if you're headed into work that 8 o'clock meeting. You're going to want to hear this so you sound smarter. This could change your life. Huh? I doubt it. Vault you to success. Oh, absolutely. Up stay, the ladder, et cetera. Stay tuned to the Armstrong and Getty Show. <laughs> Armstrong and Getty. The conscience of the nation. When we are not participating, we're not paying attention, when we're not stepping up, other voices fill the void. But the good news is, in two months, we have a chance to restore some sanity in our politics. Yeah. So Barack Obama hit the trail on Friday, got a lot of a news attention that he is breaking with Precedent, everything is breaking with precedent in the modern American political world by uh, being an ex-president and going out there on the campaign trail and directly criticizing the current president. Yep. Everything's different. Did everything but uh, call him a Nazi directly. I like. I did like when he said, it's not conservative, it's not Republican. Sure isn't normal. Yeah. <laughs> oh, he's a funny Whatever. and charming Whatever. speaker. There's no doubt about that. I would point this out. There's two ways to look at it. Um, well, I will, I will just point this out. He was he he is one of the great campaigners of all time, but it never helped his party when he wasn't on the ticket. Nope, they got killed both times when he wasn't on the ticket. Mm-hmm. When he's on the ticket, great. But so let's see if it does anything this time. That's one thing. Two, we just heard some Eagles music. Reminded me, I saw a video last night of the new Eagles with Vince Gill in it. Yeah, they were freaking awesome. Oh, I bet they were. It was really really good. Be? So yeah. check that out. And what do we have coming up? Uh, coming up, Greg Lukianoff who is uh, the co-author with Jonathan Haidt, who who he partnered with to write that absolutely incredible, groundbreaking, persuasive article in The Atlantic, I think in 2016 or 2015. Um, uh, the book form of that article is the coddling of the American mind. It is not nearly not merely bitching about uh, speech Millennials today and silencing speech and that sort of thing. It is a carefully constructed case for how dangerous that is. Mm. This is, if I have a cause, this is it. We'll talk to Greg Lukianoff right after the 8 o'clock news. Is it time to sound the alarm on sperm? We're producing half the sperm our grandfathers did. It's laziness. We're half as fertile. I don't want to talk about my granddad's fertility. In, it was good enough. I'm here. In 40 <laughs> years, at this rate, we'll be at zero. This <laughs> is what could doom mankind. Wow. For whatever reason, you know, same, same reason we can't figure out why we go out all this autism and everything like that. Whatever's causing the sperm to drop plastic, cell phone towers, whatever the hell it is, you know, pollution, if it drops at the rate it's dropping, it just goes away and there's no more kids. So, so not nuclear holocaust, not a killer virus, lack of sperm. Isn't that something? Surely we could, you know... We'd start storing it up beforehand, but you'd have a I bunch think you'd of... find many willing volunteers if there were a national uh, plea to get some more. <laughs> that would do something weird to the... The gene pool? Uh, yeah. Eventually. It'd take a while. Yeah. But you're right, man. That could be it. Well, it wouldn't take too long before it'd get pretty weird if everybody's kid wasn't their own kid, at least half not their own kid. Right. 
Genetically, yeah. yeah. Uh, wow, wow, wow. Well, if it continues on that trend, right. and, you know, but they don't not know, every trend continues. But they don't know why it cut in half, and yeah, there's no reason to think it's going to stop. It's hormones in the water, man. I'm telling you. You and Alex Jones. Half the frogs in the Dallas County, whatever he says. Bisexual. Um, <laughs> no, honestly, I think there. Uh, it's absolutely hormones everywhere. Okay, you're sitting in the parking lot. You're waiting for this before you go into your meeting. Five easy ways to sound smarter. Number one, do your homework. The starting point is knowing what you're talking about. So what you're telling me is... Wow. Number one on a ways to sound smarter in a meeting is to be smarter. I'm not sure that's helpful. I would suggest, having studied humanity for several decades now, that anybody who needs that advice is incapable of absorbing it. <laughs> if you know what I mean. But anyway, it says make sure... Unless you're, you're like a 16-year-old. Make certain your facts are correct, your sources are accurate, and your insights are grounded in the most current information. So, okay, You'll get nowhere in talk radio. Mm. Number two, boil it down to one message so that you can just jump out in the middle of the meeting with a one sentence that says your thing. Sign Donald J. Trump. Yeah. And that, hammer it and hammer it and hammer it. That is a good one. You've, we've all been in meetings. The, the person who talks the most isn't necessarily the person who's... Well, that person might be remembered, but not for their information. <laughs> Be remembered because they talked so freaking much. Yes. You can get out one pithy sentence strongly. Everybody will remember that. It's a good one. Provide a clear structure. Once you state your idea, make the depth of your knowledge clear by offering proof uh, points that support your idea along the lines of, first thing, we need to do this. Second, the challenge we faith in. Then third, this is what we do to wrap it up. Just very clear. I love that. That is pretty good. Yeah, I love the tone of that. You were just saying that kind of turned me on a little bit. Way to take control. Wow, that's disturbing. Just, you know, professionally speaking. That makes my sperm count drop. (laughs) No, no, it gave me enthusiasm for the task at hand. I'm still not going to a meeting. (laughs) Not excited enough to go to a meeting. Simplify your language. I had not heard this Winston Churchill Another Trumpism. Yeah, yeah, it is. From the art of the deal. Maybe that's where this came from. The simpler your words and sentences, the more, more profound you'll sound. Why don't more people understand that? Long, complicated sentences with a bunch of big words nobody knows does not help you. I've known so many people that think that's helpful. Right. I don't know where you come up with that. Simple, declarative sentences expand from there. Uh, It it took me a while to understand that musically speaking. You know, you've got to learn the rules before you break them. Um, But that's good advice. True wisdom lies in clarity, so choose simple words and short sentences. As Winston Churchill once said, get me a drink. He also went on to say, (laughs) short words are best, and the old words, when short, are best of all. I had not heard that. So there you go. Not newfangled words nobody's heard. Buzzwords are off-putting to everyone, except for that narrow subset of humans who loves buzzwords. But they're clearly identifiable. Number five is great advice. Yes. But not easy. Okay. I have uh, failed I'm many. To do the hard work. I've failed many times in my life. I lay back in a meeting looking for this, but it's not always easy to pull off. Choose your moments. Pick the right moment to speak up and share your views, and it'll have much more impact. That is absolutely true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, choose the right moment to get that that one clear sentence in there. But sometimes you know she starts talking or he starts going on again, oh, and you miss, and then, then the right. moments passed. And... I think that might be the sort of emotional intelligence you can't teach, though. Don't you think? Yeah. So, in other words, the five things boil down to be smarter and have some sort of natural gift for getting your message. Yes. (laughs) Other than that, you're just out of luck. Do the hard work to have a natural gift at something.
You know, I've known a number. I'm thinking of oh, a no, couple the, of people. The simple word thing. That's really good oh, advice. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Simple. Don't, you know, yeah. I'm thinking of a couple of people around here. I'll have to go through my memory bank. Name names. Maybe Don't be is... like that cowardly New York Times editorial. Name names. Maybe this is always true, but I think the people who talk the most in meetings almost always tend to be at the bottom of the ladder of success. I'm having a rogues gallery go through my head right now. Or And the people mm. who are super successful often don't say hardly a thing in the meetings. I know some re- really successful people that I, I, can, I can remember meetings where they just hang out and then leave when it's over and go do their work. Yeah. Well, I would suggest that the the jabberer is a pretty sure sign that the Peter principle is at work, that they have attained that height, but then they are there they are chattering and everybody's rolling their eyes and all you know it's not going to last. And there's that thing that we all learned a couple of years ago: incompetent people don't know they're incompetent, so they are going to talk away. They're, enough they're not, to make a guy a little paranoid. They're not held back by the concern. Is this going to sound smart? Is this the right place to say it? No, they're just going to blab it up. Right, right. <laughs> Coming up, Greg Lukianoff, who is one of my favorite people in America. Seriously. A great writer, thinker. Going to set you straight. The new book is The Coddling of the American Mind. It couldn't be more true and more timely. So we'll talk to him. Coming up on the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty Show.